Welcome to the Write It Down podcast with the 1513 Network. I'm Brooke Murata, bringing you one-on-one interviews to challenge, to inspire, and to encourage. Today, we welcome LSU Tigers head coach Ed Orgeron. Coach O led the Tigers to win the 2020 College Football National Championship. Coach has a story that will inspire you to continue to persevere, even through the toughest of times. Coach is a Louisiana native who ended up leaving LSU as a player in 1979 to work for his dad. But little did he know he'd be back in Louisiana coaching the LSU Tigers in their victory against Clemson in the 2020 National Championship. Ed Orgeron reminds us to chase our dreams and don't let anyone tell you you can't. Sit back, relax, and get your pens ready because this is Write It Down. Well, welcome back to the show. Joining me on the mic is the 2020 National Championship head coach of the LSU Tigers, Ed Orgeron. Coach O, it's a pleasure having you today. Welcome to Write It Down. Well, I'm excited. I'm really excited to be on the show, and thanks to all the great things that you do, bro. Absolutely. So, Coach O, take me back to January 13th, 2020. You're waking up in Louisiana, your home state. Hours before coaching, arguably the biggest game of your career, what does that morning look like? Uh, I'm really grateful, really grateful for the opportunity. Uh, just excited about the uh, the chance to play the national championship right there in our backyard in our home state. Uh, great, great chance for our players to showcase their great abilities. And just so happy for the state of Louisiana and uh, to see everybody excited. I knew we were going to play well. I always felt like we were going to win. I didn't take it for granted. But we just had that feeling in the air that, that, that today was our day. Yeah. So, like, if you could, what was the one emotion that you felt that entire day? Was it nervousness, uh, more excitement, oh. just sobering what was that what was the emotion that you could probably pair with that day uh you know i, I look back when i coached with jimmy johnson and pete carroll and the bigger the game got the more confident they were hmm. and, and i felt the word confidence uh that we could take on the world that day so i was i was very confident and i felt like when i showed confidence my team was going to show confidence Right. I mean, and you're from Louisiana. So you you were born, raised there. Um, you played for LSU and left. What's the story behind that? Well, you know, I'm from South Lafourche, uh, a, a Cajun town. So I was very proud of, you know, my mom and dad were French speaking, Cajun French speaking. My grandparents spoke only Cajun French. I was the first one in my family to go to college. I promised my mother and I'd get an education. She was a, a big-time motivator. My dad was a very hard worker. Uh, believe it or not, I came to LSU and I got homesick. I, I'd never, been, I'd never went, been away from the bayou. I was two hours away. What? And back then, back then, I could have been on the moon, you know? I yeah. Mean, so, yeah, but anyway, uh, so that's, that's, that's the real story. But when I left, I felt unfinished business. I felt bad about it. I went to Northwestern State University. I had a good career, not a great career. But I always felt like I had unfinished business at LSU. So, you know, to come back and uh, be the head coach at LSU is something that I always wanted. Yeah. And especially take the team to the national championship right there in the dome in front of our home state. I, I'm, that's incredible. I mean, and fast forward to the end of the game. I mean, confetti's flying. I mean, I'm sure there was a Gatorade bath on its way. Boys <laughs> chanting. I mean, what is your thought in that moment when 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 you won the game? 
very humble, to be honest with you, very humble. You know, back in my younger days, I'd have been beating my chest and all kinds of stuff <laughs> like that. But, you know, the game teaches you to be humble and just humble that we have a great quarterback, great coaching staff. Uh, it's something that it was kind of kind of surreal, but it's something that I always expected when you come to LSU. These are the expectations. You know, it's kind of like act like you've been there because you're going to be there again. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word. That's um, that's confidence right there. So if you could describe the 2019 LSU Tigers in one word, what would it be? You have to ask me for two, okay? Can I give you two? You can give me two. You have permission okay. to even speak a sentence if you'd like. I'll give it to All you. All right. <laughs> um, and, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Two words. Want to. You know, in, in life, it's so much... Coaching players, working, whatever. When your boss tells you to do something, gives you instruction, the leader gives you instruction, and you're doing it because you have to, you're not going to have success. Mm. But when you're doing it because you want to, then you take the accountability. And our team took the accountability. It's their team. I'll give you where I thought we'd be really special. It was last spring... We had finished spring practice. It was a Saturday morning. We were having official visits on campus. It was Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. Sharon Lewis, our on-campus uh, recruiting director, calls me and says, Coach, do you mind if I take the team, uh, the recruits to watch the team practice? <laughs> I laugh. I said, well, sure, but we don't have practice today. She goes, Coach. Your whole team is practicing. I said, what? They volunteered to practice Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, 100% attendance. Wow. That is want to. That is want to. I mean, were you just like filled with pride for your team? Like that right there is like more than you could ever hope or ask for with the team. More than I, and, every day, and you know what? I was a leader on our football team when I played, and I basically gave Joe Burrow the team. He did such a good job of leading him and Clyde Edwards Alaire and Lloyd Cushenberry. I let him lead, man. I, 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 when, when I had to make decisions, I brought them in. I said, what, what do y'all want to do here? They made the decision. I trusted them. Obviously, I had to agree with it, but most of the time I did. And how we went about our business, those guys decided most of the things. I gave it, that, and that gives them ownership. That gives them accountability, mm-hmm. and that's why they were so good. That's that's a good. That's very um, good coaching, I would say, on your part. Where did you learn that? Knowing that if you give either your kids or your co or your players um, ownership, that they would rise to the occasion. Where do you think you learned that? Um, just thought. You know, I, I, I think I learned the most most of that from Coach Carroll, uh, Pete Carroll, uh, who was a player's coach, and uh, you know he let them make some decisions. But I don't think I've been around any team. We had been. This was my fifth national championship. I've been on four national championship teams. I think that this was the most any coach has ever given the team the accountability, and just gave them. Give them the key. They did. They went. They want to. Yeah. 
I mean, the beginning of each season, I'm sure you have this, but this this year will be our year. Like, it's just kind of this, mm-hmm. like, I know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, each fan, sports fan, I'm sure, has that or, or coach. So what was going through your mind at the beginning of the season? Did you sense something different about the 2019 LSU Tigers? Yes, I did. And, and, and I knew I had to handle it in the right way. And uh, I felt that we had a very good offense uh, in uh, one spring scrimmage we completed 80 percent of our passes against a very good defense and lsu has never done that mm-hmm. when i walked off the field i told somebody we have a good football team so going into the season i had to be careful of not letting them look beyond one game at a time because you know when you went when you go to win the national championship every game counts there was no mulligans. But I didn't let them talk about winning the national championship. We, I never mentioned winning the national championship. Even before the game at Clemson, <laughs> they laughed. I said, guys, our focus this week is to beat Clemson. And when we beat Clemson, let's find out what happens. They all laughed and he's not going to say it. But the reason I didn't want to say we're going to make our goal winning the national championship and sometimes that's too lofty of a goal on a football team. And if you lose one game in the season, it, your goals go down right away. So our goal was to practice every day. And this this the first time I said this. We're going to practice at the LSU standard of performance. And that's elite every day. And we're going to hold ourselves as coaches, as a coaching staff, and as players to handle our business in the classroom, off the field, on the field, elite LSU standard performance. Mm. No players were allowed in any ballrooms during the season. None. We made a commitment to ourselves that we're going to focus in on the task at hand on a daily basis. Let's see where it takes us. Wow. And so, so you're coming. You're coming off this this high of the the 2020 national championship, a team that wants it, a team that's disciplined, that respects your rules for um, having this discipline and these mindsets. But now we're entering. I mean, this is the middle of COVID nineteen, um, a quarantine time, no spring football. So, so how are you connecting with your team right now? What are some of the things that? that you're doing um, to, you know, stay in touch with them or give them goals and still kind of coach them from a distance. Yeah. Obviously very challenging. Yeah. But we have a saying that we don't blink. Whatever the circumstances is, we're going to deal with it. You know, here's what we're doing. We're working eight in the morning till five in the afternoon as a coaching staff, a regular work day. We're putting in offense and defense installations, special teams, uh, we're giving our guys drills of the day. We're giving them tips and reminders. I uh, have an academic task force that are calling our guys every day, making sure they're going to tutorials, making sure that they're, they're doing their work online, making sure they're getting all the help that they need. Tommy Moffitt, our strength coach, is calling them every day with a suggested workout. They're weighing in, coming back to Tommy. The foot, our football coaches are. Uh, now I can't do it. I'm glad. I'm glad I got younger guys that are smarter than me. They work in this Zoom room, whatever they call that stuff. And, <laughs> but but they, you know, they're having the meetings and yeah. You know, it, the, the, this uh, coronavirus time has taught us 
to do something different. We're competing. Now we're learning how to work the computer. And that was always there for us. We would have never learned how to do that. Now we have a Zoom meetings. Yeah. We're keeping our guys together. So we're we're working just like we were here, except instead of practicing physically together. I love it. I mean, it takes a team to coach a team. So it seems like everybody's really uh, pulling their weight here um, for another season of success. But success didn't always follow you, Coach O. It seems like to many there was a definitive shift in your coaching between your time at Ole Miss and USC. Is that is that a fair yeah. statement? Can you can you take me through um, that season of your life? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, there's no book on how to be a head coach. <laughs> you got to go through it. And, uh, you know, I went to Ole Miss as a very successful defensive line coach. And, uh, you know, I coached Warren Sapp and Cortez Kennedy and Russell Maryland at Miami. And, uh, you know, you got to be stern, kind of a a Marine-type football coach, you know, to get those big guys going. I mean, they're going to respect you and they got to play. The game on the defensive line is a violent game, and you got to teach them how to play that way. So you got to coach that way. So when I went to Ole Miss, I was going to coach the whole team like I coached the defensive line. Didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. It just didn't work. I broke them down too much. Uh, they didn't really understand what I was trying to get done. I think I was too hard on the coaching staff. In fact, I know I was. So a definitive moment in my career, well, we got hired, we got fired, and I kind of knew it was coming. I kind of knew I was going to get fired from Ole Miss the second week I was there. Some people didn't want me there. But anyway, we didn't have success. And uh, so I was going home, and I got a couple of mentors that I've talked to. And, you know, it's important to have mentors that are going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So anyway, I called them, and they said, listen. And I started complaining about this, complaining about that. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, he said young man. The only person in the world you can change is yourself. Look at the man in the mirror when you brush your teeth every morning and ask yourself, what do you need to change to get better? Wow. Wow. Okay. Hit me right right in the gut with that one. I can imagine. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted to be a head coach again. I went to the Saints. I was under Sean Payton. And I'd write down some stuff I liked. I'd write down some stuff that uh, I thought that it could make me better. Uh, I would watch TV. I'd watch the SEC a bunch. I wanted to be back in the SEC. I'd watch coaches in their interviews. I'd watch the games. And I was just trying to find, find a way, find a way. But here's what happened. When I was at the Saints, I had a lot of time to be with my family. And I had three young boys. And every Monday night, I'd cook. And their friends would come on over. And we had a blast, man. We had a blast. And I said to myself, I said, you know what? If I treat my football players exactly how I treat my kids, they'll run through a wall for me. Hmm. Because you see, a football player, the two things got to happen between a football player and a coach. Number one is is priority. If you don't have this, you don't have a chance. The player has to know that the coach actually has his best interest in mind, just like he was his own. Mm -hmm. 
Number two, the player has to know that the coach has the knowledge to get him to where he wants to go. If those two things happen between a player and a coach, you have a great relationship and you have a winning chance. Yeah. So out of all things said, these things came up. I will treat my team exactly how I treat my sons. I will treat my team, my coaches, with the utmost respect. I will never correct a coach in front of a player. I will never yell at a coach in front of a player. But I will hold the coaches with the highest accountability in everything that we do. And let me explain to that. We have a saying here. We drill it, we film it. We film it, we watch it. If it's broke, we fix it. So after practice, I watch all the film. And I have my notebook. And if something is broke at a position, I will go to the coach. Say, Coach, let me speak to you for a second. A turn on play 17 here. Uh, tell me, uh, how are we going to fix this? And the coach will tell me, you know, yeah, coach, it will give me the drill. Uh, give me the skill that needs to get fixed. I want that fixed today, okay? And most of the time, he'll say, yes, sir, coach, and I'll move on. Mm. So that's how I handle my team. I love that. I love what you said. I mean, and, and that kind of shows a definitive shift in your mindset with your sons. Of I'm going to treat my team like they're my own boys. And I think any person, whether they're on a college football team or on a little league team, they want to belong. They look at their coach like a father figure or, or exactly. mother figure. And so exactly. it's it's a unit and it's a family. And I think when you're when you switch to a greater purpose of like, these are my brothers, these are, you know, these are this is my family. Um, you can't help but want to win and, and do it for them. And, and it's no longer an I situation. It's it's more of a team. Um, at any point, did you feel like your life would be marked by failure? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, uh, you have a fear of that for sure. Right. And it's in the back of your mind, but you know what? I use that, you know, I really, there's some uh, gift that God gave me somehow, some way I've gotten this that, you know, I was made fun of the way I talk. I was saying, I'm never going to be a coach again. They made y'all y'all songs about me and all kinds of stuff. But I never, I never bought into that because I knew that wasn't me. Mm. And I always felt that the truth would come out one day. So what I did is all that stuff that all the, all the negative things that people said, I use it as internal motivation. And I said this after the championship. One of the guys said, Coach, and I was very humble. He said, Coach, yeah. You're not like, you know, some of us thought you'd be beating your chest and saying, hey, I told y'all so. And I said, no, that's not that, that, that that's not it. I want to thank the people that ridiculed me. I want to thank everybody that made fun of the way I talk or the way I look. Because it fueled me. It gave me internal motivation to have success. That's good. If we could, we all need that mindset, I think, to, to use the yes. things that people hurl at us and, and to not turn and be um, vicious towards those that said it, but have grace. I mean, and, and we know that's exactly how 
God is, how the Lord is. He has grace um, to those. I mean, he was despised and rejected. So um, I, I love what you said about that. But I also would have to say to you, Coach O, I love your voice. I think it's great. Thank you. I think it. I think it's so it's so unique. And um, man, I, I love it. And if you were my coach, I would definitely listen to you. So if that's if you need if you're looking for another player, let me know. I'll be out there. You got it. Thank you. <laughs> but let's let's pick up the story. So with the Saints, what happens next? Okay, uh, you know, uh, I learned I learned a lot from uh, Sean Payton, but I just didn't want to be a defensive line coach. You know, when when you're you're the head coach or you're in college, there's a lot of activity, man. You're recruiting uh, in, in the NFL. You're not recruiting. I was a good recruit. I miss recruiting, but basically, I wanted to get back into college. I felt that would be my chance to be a head coach again. And Lane Kiffin was recruiting me. Les Miles was recruiting me. And I went to Tennessee to go with Lane because I respect him as a coach, but I always also wanted to be with his daddy, Monty Kiffin, because uh, I love the 4-3 defense. So I went to Tennessee. And then we got to go back to USC. And uh, that was a place uh, I always kind of wanted to go back after Ole Miss. Uh, I talked to Pete Carroll. See if there's any opportunity. You know, there's a, we had a lot of success there. I loved California. So when the opportunity go, came to go to USC, we took it. Went to USC. Uh, we had two good years there. The third year, things started going sour. Then we had a big loss to Arizona State, like 62 or something. And I'm on the plane, and one of the administrators comes tomorrow morning. He tells me, tomorrow morning, you will be the interim and, and I'll repeat that well, interim head coach at USC. And it was kind of like, oh, they fired Lane. I felt bad because Lane is a friend of mine. Yeah. And then but the next morning I woke up and said, hey, man, here's your chance. Let's go. And look, I kept a notebook. I kept a lot of things I'd put down. Here's what you're going to do. Here's the things you say you're going to do when you get your chance again. And I read them and I read them and I went over them and I stuck to them. Love it. And so when you we put the emphasis on interim, um, when you become the interim, when you put when you become the interim head coach, is there um, this level of I want to keep this position? I want to show them that I can be the permanent head coach. Or is it more just like I'm thankful for the opportunity? Let's see how far I can ride this out. Yeah, it's the latter first time. That was a mistake. Yeah. I, I never felt I never felt that Pat Hayden wanted me to be the head coach at USC. Okay, I felt that from the beginning. And uh, so I said, you know what? I love this university. I'm going to do it. I love these players. Hey, let's, let's just make them start feeling good again, man. Let's win. So I, I flipped the script. Whatever we was doing, I did opposite. I put cookies back into the uh, training room. I made things fun. I made it like a family. Uh, you know, and we had fun. I shortened practices up. We had fun. We started winning. And then when we beat Oregon State, I said, you know what? This is our team. I could be the head coach at USC. So I didn't, I didn't, from day one, I didn't act like I was going to be the head coach. And then it was too late by then. They, they, they had made their decision. They, they, they wanted someone else. And uh, it didn't turn out the way I wanted to because I was told at the end I was going to be the head coach 99%, but they pulled it, pulled it out on me. So, but now, I look back and I see everything happened for a reason. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, I mean, especially you know, like, 
looking at your national championship in your home state. That's, that's I mean, right. It's incredible. This Did, is the biggest fit I ever got. You know, Brooke, I got to say one thing. When the, when I left USC, I told the team bye. And it was like a funeral. And they were climbing over the tables to tell me bye. Grown men were crying. And, wow. and it was hard. And because that was my family. I, I'd stayed in a hotel for four years to get that job away from my family. Wow. My family was still living in Mandeville. You talk about commitment and sacrifice. Oh, wow. So we got on the, we got on the plane, and I looked at my wife, and I'll never forget this moment. I said, besides the day I buried my father, this is the worst day of my life. You know what she told me? What? No, it's not. No, it's not. God has a better plan. <laughs> I laughed. I said, well, it better be good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, w- I would definitely be wondering if God had a plan at that moment, especially exactly, especially with the sacrifice that you made staying in a hotel for four years. You would have to yes. look at that and go, do you even care, God? I mean, yeah. look at this. Yes, but well, she was faithful and mm. she was right. She was right. He had a better plan. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break from our show to discuss Patreon. Patreon is a secure site that allows creators to make albums, videos, and podcasts like the one you're listening to now. So if you enjoy Write It Down, please head over to our website, xvxiii.com or spell out 1513.com in your browser. Click on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and show your support. Write It Down is made possible by the 1513 Network, so please send over your love, your support for the other shows as well. If not, just stick with Write It Down because I'm the coolest, the realest, the illest. Anyways, back to the show. Did your confidence take a hit in that moment or was it another one of those things where you're like, I'm going to put this under my belt and I'm going to keep moving forward or was there this moment of, I just need a break? Well, to be honest with you, I needed a break. Mm-hmm. And my, my kids will tell you, I wasn't myself. I moved. I went home to Mandeville for three months, man. I just was sleeping a lot. Mm-hmm. Wasn't shaving every day. And I shave every day. I get up every morning at six o'clock. I was depressed. Yeah. I, it, it was just, it was just like a death in a family for me. And, uh, but, but after three months, man, I started perking up a little bit, getting ready to go. And I said to myself, I don't know if I'm ever going to be a head coach again. But I'm going to, you know, after, after you have a year off, that's the first time I had never been. That's the first time I have been without a team since I'm six years old. Wow. I missed it. I didn't know how to act. Mm-hmm. I missed. And you know what? When you take a year off of work, you you, you don't. You don't think of the small stuff. You know, we all, when we're working and we're working in an environment, you know, people get on our nerves. We get on people's nerves and the little, little things, the small stuff. Yep. And it bothers us sometimes. Well, the year I was off, I forgot all that. Yeah. I forgot about all the small stuff. You know what I missed? What? I missed my team. I miss going to work every day. I miss the adversity. I miss the challenge. I miss the scoreboard. I miss the competitive nature. Yeah. So when I got back to work, I said, I'm not going to sweat the small stuff. I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to enjoy the game that I'm coaching. And that year off, I got to watch my kids play. 
I was at every game. I got to be a family man, and it turned out to be the best year of my life. Oh, I'm a- I can imagine that that was a the really transformative time in your life. And, and I think people are dealing with that now um, in present circumstances with COVID-19, and we're all kind of being forced to be off of our normal schedules and our normal life. And we're like, man, I miss work. And I miss, you know, we don't think about, man, I have to wake up early and go to work, like all that stuff. We like miss our coworkers. We miss human interaction. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so really at the, in the middle of it all, we're face to face with ourselves, And it yes. seems to me like you were face to face with yourself and who you are as Ed Orgeron, apart from being a coach and, exactly. um, and what your identity was. Um, and, and you mentioned in those three months, um, depression and um, just kind of like hitting that low. And there are a lot of people that are, that are chasing their dream right now or are, are chasing something much larger than themselves and they're hitting that that depressed time and I've been through it as well what would you say like your advice would be to those in those dark times get help go to church I went to church every Sunday uh I get help uh you know uh, I didn't feel like uh you know I stayed close to my family I got out of it but there's nothing wrong with going to get help yeah. Uh, there's more help today for that stuff than ever. It's real. Yeah, for sure. So you're you, um, Coach. Oh, let's say you're going through something tough um, in life. Who's the first person you would dial? You know, I have, I have two. Uh, I'm a friend of Bill Wilson, so people out there may 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 may, may know that or may not know that. And uh, I've had some struggles in my early uh, early adulthood. And uh, I had some things that I had to fix, and uh, I couldn't fix them, so I went to an organization and I fixed them. And that's all I can say about that, but I think people can read between the lines. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I have mentors that I call. Mm-hmm. I call two or three times a week. And anytime I have to make a decision, something goes right, wrong, and different, I call about three or four people, and I know they're going to give me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. Yeah, that's important. And I follow directions. <laughs> I remain I remain teachable. Yeah. No matter no matter if you're not having success, if you're having success, I'm I'm fifty I'm gonna be fifty nine years old. I still remain teachable. I can always learn. Yeah, I think that's probably what makes you well actually I can say this confidently, what makes you an awesome coach is that you're coach you. that you're coachable. And those that think that they have it all figured out are are really not going to go anywhere in life. And they're going to, you know, face some adversity and realize they can't do anything on their own. What would you say, um, like your ideal player to coach, not necessarily a person, but maybe the persona of a person? You know, I I, I, I can say it. uh, And not because he won the championship for us. Uh, Joe Burrow. Yeah. I mean, Joe was a player coach for me. Joe, Joe was a friend. Joe was a confidant. Joe was somebody that was intense as I was every day. He never changed his demeanor. He was all about the team, all about winning. Hmm. He could give a. He didn't care about any individual awards. This guy, this guy was the ultimate team player and the ultimate competitor when when he you saw it when he got hit shit hey that's what he started playing i gotta tell you a funny story brooke uh, you know after i saw that the harder he got hit the better he played 
I told him, shoot, I'm just going to get him hit right before the game in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to start stampeding towards him and just nail him, huh? Yeah, but his demeanor, uh, I only, with Joe, obviously we went 15-0 and 0 and we had a great surrounding cast. But we always knew we were going to win with Joe. Yeah. Always. I love that. What are you, what are your hopes? Um, maybe not necessarily like details, but your hopes for him and his future in football. You know uh, that he gets with a team. Uh, hopefully, it's Cincinnati picks him. Whoever it is, they mm-hmm. go get a winner. Mm-hmm. I hope that he has the success that he did in college. I think that uh, Joe don't like me to say this, but I don't know Tom Brady. Uh, I met him one time. I watched him a bunch, and really. Idolize him just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But I think he has all the intangibles that, that uh, Tom Brady has. Wow. And I think that with the right team and the right coach, that he can take him to the championship. That's a confident statement. And that, that shows a lot about who Joe is. Um, and also it shows a lot about who you are. And, and, and from what I can gather from your relationship with all your players and specifically with Joe is that he's going to be somebody that will feel confident to call you whenever. And I think as a coach, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's something that you'll carry the rest of your life. It's not just the four years of those players on your team. It's afterwards. It's them calling you a few years later. You know, it's the, them calling you after the Super Bowl or seeing you there. I mean, that, I mean, it doesn't get any much better than that. I mean, I'm sure even in your kid's life, you want that relationship. Life yeah, is relationships. You're right, you're right there, bro. That, I think that's the rewards of coaching. And, and, and you, you mentioned something really good. You see it after you coach them. You yeah. see the relationship yeah. that you build, the trust. In fact, I called him. I had to call him uh, about two weeks ago. And uh, he says, Coach, I'm really missing LSU, man. <laughs> I love the culture we had there. I love the people we had there. And so does mom and dad. So they, they'll be forever LSU. But, you know, as you know, I got relationships with a lot of my ex-players. And now we're, we're friends and we're family. And like you said, it lasts a lifetime. Where do you think that you find the most solitude and rest to kind of recharge you for those relationships? You know, if I can find time to lift weights Here's my schedule. Tell me. I'm, I'm going to be at the office at 6 o'clock in the morning. I say my prayers. I go out my patio. Every day is my prayer. God, thank you for letting me be the head coach of Louisiana State University. Please give me the words and the wisdom that you want me to use to lead these men today. Amen. I go to work. Then if I can get me a jog at noon, it's a very slow jog, no broken. I like to run in the heat. I tell our team, you know, we live in the South. You live in the South. Yeah. It's hot up there. I tell the team, the heat is our friend. And I'm still very active. I run, I work out. And then uh, after practice, if I can see my kids and have a good family time with my kids, I'm a happy man. Yeah. That's a, that seems like the life. Um, That's all I want. 
Yeah. I mean, and I don't know why you think, I mean, this is great that you think the heat is the friend, but I'm telling you when I'm running in the heat, I'm like, why did I do this to myself? So hats off, hats off to you because I like a crisp breeze and it's like early in the morning or late at night and I don't want to be bothered with the heat. So, um, I have to share like a little story, but this, again, it's not about me, but my first day at my corporate job, I replied all to a company wide email. I hit reply all. And I wish somebody would have told me that because I was in the kitchen at the work kitchen and I was like the butt of everybody's joke. And I was like, Oh man, I must've done something wrong. So I wish somebody would have told me that when I walked in the door, what is one thing you wish somebody would have told you on your, on your first day of the, as a head coach? Uh, don't try to fight the media. It doesn't work. <laughs> That's good advice. That's good advice. You, I'm sure. You, I'm sure you've had some run-ins with the media. Um, but do you find it hard to bite your tongue? Do you find it difficult to be honest and transparent? Not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, ever since I left Ole Miss, I've had a great relationship with the media. I rarely read anything. I learned that from Coach Carroll. Uh, block out the noise. You know, I read the Twitter. I call it the Twitter machine. I read it because of, of the recruiting. I have to stay on top of. But I don't open a newspaper. I used to read everything that man. But I just, you know, now I have a great relationship with the media. But back then, I didn't. That's funny. The Twitter machine. <laughs> I'm sure that your your boys are all cringing at that that the dad version of you saying that. Oh, they love it. So you you were also you had a, yeah. a a spot in the Blind Side. What was that like? That that movie. Oh, it was awesome. And let me say this to you: Sandra Bullock was one of the nicest ladies I've ever met in my life. She seems like it. She seems like someone I'd want to hang with. We anyway. spent six hours she and I together, and she was nice. And she was she was uh, funny, smart. Had a great personality about herself. Uh, wonderful lady. Yeah. What What was one thing like one um, like m- distinct memory you have from that from filming that? Well, she told me she, after after the uh, after we filmed our part, she goes, "Coach, I got to tell you, when I found out that I had to work with you today, I was frustrated because you never did any scenes." I thought you'd mess up your scenes. We'd have to do things over and over again. She goes, you never messed up one time. I messed up three times. And she gave me a big old hug. (laughs) (laughs) You have an acting career ahead of you, Coach O. I hope you know that. I'd watch it. Brooke, let me me say this to you. After I did the movie Blindside, I was waiting for my phone to ring for another chance. Yeah. And to this day, it still had rang again. So Man. I think I'm done. <laughs> you never know, though, because you could have thought that you were done coaching, and now look at you. So that's right. you never know. Like you could be in another movie that's based in Louisiana. So there you go. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past the man upstairs with your with your life story. There you go. Is this is this true? Is this a true f- fact that you recruited young Dwayne Johnson for the well, hurricane? Here's the, here's the truth of the matter. I coached Dwayne. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Cormelowitz, who's deceased now, is a good friend of mine. Bob went up to Pennsylvania and recruited Dewey. So Bob Cormelowitz was the major recruiter. Bob was the 
defensive line coach, and I was the assistant defensive line coach. Okay. But I, I helped recruit him, obviously, but Bob was the major recruiter. But and when Dwayne came, I ended up coaching Dwayne, and me and him became very close. His nickname for me was Dewey. Dewey. Where did that yeah, come everybody, from? Everybody called him Dewey. He was a nice guy. Yeah. I mean, a nice, a soulman young man, a great young man. I mean, and I look at him. I mean, he, he might, Coach O, he might be the guy that calls you for a movie. So he may be. He could and be. That, he could be that guy. You never know. Yeah, he's. Uh, I got to tell you one funny story. He had a. Uh, he didn't have a good practice. And after practice, I told him. I said, "Hey, man, why don't you just go be a wrestler like your uncle?" Well, at least he, at least he followed good advice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling, and you're full of good advice, apparently. What is, right. who is one person that you think you'd maybe be like starstruck? I'm sure you've met a lot of people, but who's somebody that like, man, I just maybe have a lot of respect or would love to be in a room with them one day. Yeah, I'll tell you when, when uh, president Trump called me, mm-hmm. I was fired up. Woo. I was fired up when he called me, man. I, I was kind of like the, uh, our secretary yells says, coach, the president's gone. I said, okay. Cause the president of the school calls me every once in a while. Yeah. Goes, Coach, the president of the United States called me. I said, what? <laughs> so I was stuck by my phone. It's kind of cool. I, I had it on speakerphone. And, and, and just like on the movies you hear, the operator came on. The White House operator and said, Coach, the president of the United States. I said, oh, man. <laughs> and he got on the phone. He was great to talk to. So I think I was a little starstruck when he called me. Yeah. I mean, I would be, I think that, I think that would be the one from, I mean, no matter who was president at the time, I'd feel like pretty honored that, uh, the commander in chief is calling me. I'd be like, Hey, <laughs> like, yes, I'd be no a little question. nervous. Yes. Um, so let's, let's do some, let's do some fun questions before we get to our, our write it down. Um, what would you say? And we have a lot of time with quarantine, but I know you're working still hard. But what would be your favorite TV show? Like your go-to, put your feet up, watch something, relax. Favorite TV show? Go-to. Uh, God, that's hard for me to say. Right. It's tough. Hawaii Five O. Hawaii Five O. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah, have played you as that guy. I, I, I'll tell you why. I just like to see the scenes in Hawaii. I love Hawaii, <laughs> and it gets me. It yeah. gets me away from what I'm thinking. It's like a movie post. It's like a running postcard. It just seems like That's a postcard right. the whole time. Okay, That's so what I like. so you hop into your car and you you turn your car on. What genre of music could I expect to hear? Uh CCR, country, country, old country, new country, old country. Who's your favorite artist? I'd have to say CCR, Greenish Clear Water okay. Revival. Okay. I took a rock and roll class um, at, well, I'm a University of Florida grad. I didn't tell you that in the beginning um, because I wanted to have a good relationship with you throughout the show. But <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> I am a gator and I had that's to take, good. I had to take a filler, filler class, like just to whatever, to pass, you know, and, and graduate. And I was like, you know what? Rock and roll in America's society sounds good. And my friends all made fun of me because like, Brooke, you don't even. And we studied CCR. And so I forget pretty much everything I learned, but I do know who they are. So that's good. Oh, good. Um, that's good. If you could pick one place, and I, maybe you already answered this with Hawaii Five O, but if you could place, uh, pick one place in the world to travel, where would it be and why? You know, I would I'd say somewhere in the Caribbean's. 
I've been a bunch of places. I just love the blue water and the beaches. Yeah. You got to move to Florida. I'm telling you that we've had that 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 look and the weather for, and we have the heat too. So if you want to do a midday yeah. run and die at 100 degrees, you know you can yeah. be our guest here in Florida. Yeah, thank okay. you. <laughs> okay, last one. What is your biggest pet peeve? Laziness. Laziness. Can't stand it. Now I will not accept it. Mm. That could be your write it down right there. But so we are getting to that point of the show where um, we ask each guest something to write down, maybe words that you've lived by. So if there's one thing that you want our audience to take away, what would it be? Chase your dreams. Never ever let someone tell you you can't do anything i'm living proof write it down coach ed orgeron thank you so much for joining us on the show it's been a it's been a pleasure chatting with you coach o thank you brooke i'll tell you one thing go tigers oh no go gators <laughs> you heard it here folks go gators <laughs> all right see you later <laughs> thank you ed thank you for listening to the write it down podcast This podcast is a part of the 1513 Network. You can catch a variety of shows on their website, 1513.com. If you enjoy listening to Write It Down, please subscribe, share with your friends, and if there's any ink left in your pen, write a review. For more content, follow the fun on Instagram by following at W-I-D-P-O-D. That spells WIDPOD. Super cool. Stands for Write It Down Podcast, but it's abbreviated to WIDPOD. Anyways. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you later.